everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Ditch Day Podcast. I'm Kamika McCoy, Senior Marketing Reporter. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor. How's your day treating you so far, Kaylee? Oh, you know, it's uh, off to a dreary start. It is raining here. This is the Friday ahead of another, uh, like the seventh weekend in a row of rain um, in New York. And so it feels very fall, cozy, and wet. <laughs> Oh, the fall and cozy vibes. You lost me at wet. <laughs> yes, it's been ongoing here in New York. Um, and it's just the weekends. It is only the weekends with the rain. It's like punishment. So I heard that you talked to Bennett Spector, general manager of Bleacher Report. Talk to me about what you guys talked about, what made him an, an interest of yours. Yeah, so um, excitingly, I got to record this episode in person with him at their new offices, Warner Brothers Discovery Bleacher Report, House of Highlights, the, the whole nine yards offices. Um, so that was exciting, an in-person recording for some of the first times for me uh, since taking over this podcast. But um, it was on my mind to talk to him because Bleacher Report and House of Highlights have been going through this, I guess, like transition or renaissance period of live um, video. Like they've been focusing very hard on having like a creator-led strategy that is almost like a kind of conversational radio show um, style, but, you know, live video being the the core of that. And they're using their app as a um, distribution platform for it. So it's been a very big focus for them. Um, and during this conversation, I was asking Bennett about kind of the go forward strategy with that in this coming year, like 2023, he said was very much a test and learn phase, see if there's the appetite for it, see if there's the audience for it, see if there's the sponsorship for it. And from here, uh, the goal is to very strongly increase the size of their creator network um, you know, test and learn on the fly still, but, you know, also he mentions at one point trying to compete with the likes of like Twitch or, uh, you know, some of those other live stream platforms in terms of how they compensate creators. So it's definitely a growth year for them um, this coming year. And they're, they have a lot of ambitions. We definitely dig into to all of those areas and a lot to go over about how they're approaching 2024. 100%. That's a tall order, man. So I'm excited to hear about it. And with no further ado, let's get to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I am eager to talk all things Bleacher Report and House of Highlights and specifically looking at um, your video strategy and live video, video podcasts, all that um, exciting stuff. I know that that's been a big focus area for you guys. Um, and I think the reason this conversation kind of um, came across my radar is that House of Highlights met a new uh, milestone of having 10 million followers on YouTube, um, which is that that's a big milestone, right? Yeah, I mean, that's massive. Um Obviously, YouTube giant platform and millions of accounts on the platform, but only you know a thousand ish have ever reached that milestone, that kind of diamond uh, play button. So huge for us, and and a lot of the emphasis has really just been in the last couple of years too. Um, so the fastest growing on that platform within sports media, um, and almost seven million followers just in the last year and a half of time. So really, really encouraging, and uh, yeah, just kind of points back to when you take a concerted effort to focus on one platform and one strategy, it can pay off. So yeah, pretty, uh, the team here and actually House of Highlights sits right behind where we're sitting. So everyone's super pumped. 
Yeah. And so House of Highlights, for those who are unfamiliar, was born on, it was Instagram, right? It was a very like socially native platform. Um, YouTube has come into the mix um, and you mentioned is a very like focused area for you guys. What does the content mix kind of look like now for House of Highlights? And is it more so focused on kind of that like short form vertical video that a lot of, you know, socially native brands are kind of used to? Or have you, it's, I mean, YouTube is more long form. What's the kind of strategy shift to in a content perspective? Well, the content mix is always focused on where people are consuming. And uh, House of Highlights is everywhere. So it's obviously not just on YouTube or just on Instagram. Um, we're also making content that shows up on uh, BR Sports on Max now so that from the House of Highlights brand. So those traits of, of what the content looks like, of vertical, is it short form, is it not? I think that depends. Um, but video is certainly how young people are consuming more and more. So video is how we think about what are young people consuming, how are they consuming it, and then we kind of reverse engineer from that. Uh, so yeah, the content... No one size fits all, but I would say we look at YouTube as a leading indicator of what is what uh, content are people spending more time with, and then how can we take you know the uh, the best pieces of it and move it to another platform and see how that that performs. So we look at YouTube, I would say, and then there's a lot of trickle down to how we uh, think about content for other platforms. Right, and so the the types of shows that you have, right? Because with sports, like licensing and rights to live sports is like one approach to um, that genre. But I think it's been reported like a lot of young audiences are consuming less like live sports or they're maybe not watching as much like games in full. There's a lot of like, you know, ancillary content around sports that I think is what really kind of drives um, attention. How does House of Highlights, and then we can get into like the Bleacher Report yeah. aspect at large, really kind of dig into like what younger consumers are watching regarding like, you know, sports content. Yeah. Well, uh, it's interesting because while live consumption of the game with young fans might be down, uh, sports fandom is actually up among young people. And when they talk to young people, they're just as passionate as ever about uh, the teams that they follow or the players maybe more specifically in the case of House of Highlights. So uh, sports proper is still a major piece of it. We focus on sports culture at House of Highlights, but the game itself still does really well for us, just not the full um, broadcast of it. Uh, so one of the benefits of being part of WBD and is that we do have access to billions of dollars of rights uh, under that umbrella. So we get access to sit courtside at an NBA game um, or, you know, be on the field during a U.S. soccer match or whatever it might be. And that access has, you know, really proved out for us that when we can sit down with an athlete or a celebrity at one of these events, many of the brands cannot. And what we do with those people is not traditional. So many would, you know, take the approach of asking them about the game or about how they performed. And we go straight into that kind of uh, cross-section with culture and popular culture more specifically. Um, and ask them about what young people would care about. What are you listening to? Um, ask them, you know, hot button questions about, uh, I don't know, who they're dating or whatever it might be. And that's what younger people want is not just seeing these stars, you know, performing, but also, you know, what they're doing on or off the court. So that's how House of Highlights approaches it. Um, but we, I would say we we don't shy away from actually leaning into sports because that is what differentiates us from just any other kind of internet brand. Right. And so I know live video is part of the strategy, especially on the app for both Bleacher Report and then it sounds like House of Highlights as well. Can you like talk a little bit about your approach to live 
if it's not specifically around like full gain coverage? Yeah. So uh, going back to uh, what I was mentioning of just we look at how young people are consuming. And when we look at kind of the leading platforms and what content is the stickiest for young people, it was live and it was longer form video. And so we took that and we said, well, how can we apply that to sports and do it for a younger younger generation? But again, very focused on sports. And so uh, for years and years, video is, you know, obviously better for the business uh, because you can make more money from it from advertising. But it was, we were challenged with production budgets because to make video on the internet, uh, you still have to spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Live and, and through a third-party vendor that we've uh, been working with over the last two years to build it in-house has allowed us not to have the same overhead uh, needed to produce a lot of uh, live content or video at scale. So uh, once we kind of got past that production hurdle and you didn't need you know control rooms and technical operations and it was just producer and the creator and they could go live, we've ramped that up dramatically. And that so once we knew that we could do it cheaply um, and efficiently, then it unlocked great. Now we can onboard hundreds or thousands of creators, in our case, into our ecosystem and tag them into our distribution, which is um, what we would say is best in class. We have millions and millions of people that have told us what they want. So we're not guessing. We're not making one show for millions and hoping some like. Um, we have millions of fans that have said, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. So we can find the best creator for the Golden State Warriors, tag them into our operation, and distribute that content out. So it's kind of like fishing where the fish are, and, and doing it through live is just the most efficient model. Plus, it's how younger people want to consume. They like uh, the interactive elements where they feel like they're actually part of the broadcast, and they can ask questions to the creator. And I think that's important that it doesn't feel one way. It feels really two-way and kind of natural to how young people want to consume. Yeah, it sounds almost similar to like how radio was for the longest time. Like, so is it kind of that maybe like a podcast or like talk show style? Like what's the, you know, obviously like Twitch is a big platform too for gaming. So I'm sure like there's that appetite for, you know, someone analyzing a game live. But what's the kind of like programming piece of it? And I do want to get into like the creator side too because I think it takes a – certain type of personality to be able to handle like a live kind of programming every you know day um there's a reason i'm not in broadcast journalism for instance but um yeah what's the kind of like programming mix there yeah so the programming mix again follows audience so the beauty of sports is that um and and having been at br we're very data focused company Mm -hmm. so we have you know over 15 years of data to say on this day, this is where we see spikes in our engagement. And plus or minus a few days as schedules kind of change, you know broadly what sports fans are interested in. You might not know the exact storyline of what's going to happen in said game, but you know that on this day and time, everyone's going to be talking about the trade deadline. Even though the trade deadline might be two weeks out, we see that this is when people actually start um, picking up and seeing that content engage. So uh, our programming grid is quite complex, um, but it is, uh, we are about a month ahead of where uh, the actual content, uh, we assign a creator and so on, we're a month ahead of that. So we set a grid and we say, these are how many streams we wanna do about which topics, which creators would be the best fit for it. And we have, you know, 500 to 600 streams right now a month um, that we're doing. And uh, we again, we, we assign that from the biggest, uh, tentpole moments like the NBA trade deadline down to a college football team. 
And we often, you know, give them hooks that we know that are going to perform well. So it's not just, again, a creator going live about a subject they're passionate about, but we kind of help them through that process and say, if you talk about, um, you know, the quarterback battle right now, that would perform really well for us. And we can put that into an alert that we send out to that fan base. So it's, I think that's probably the biggest difference between what we do and what Twitch does is it's a little bit more of a publisher platform hybrid where we have the platform, which allows us to create this content at scale, but we have the publisher instincts and can tell you and tell the creator what you should be streaming about and when, and then we do the rest and package it up and send it out. So it's a little different than Twitch. Um, and I think that works to our advantage because otherwise people would be doing this on Twitch. Right. So we have the audience and I think, again, the content sensibilities and that's maybe a little inside baseball, but that's how we do it. Yeah, no, that's really fascinating. And like the app too, um, is it like, what's the kind of format? Is it something that like, you know, people kind of like scroll through different live streams that are going on or can they like go back and, you know, look for sp like topics specific? Like what's the kind of like consumer user experience? Yeah. Uh, what it is today, I would say, is more publisher than platform. So in the future, it might be a lot of the things you describe, which is kind of uh, all live video lives in one place and you can pick your topic based on what's trending because it has the most concurrent viewers or something like that. As it is today, though, uh, it is more targeted distribution. It is what I was describing as we uh, take that piece of content and we think about all the applicable places in our app where that might perform best. So. A Warriors stream, I might see it because I'm a Warriors fan. I'm from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. uh, you might never see it because you're in New York and you're uh, a Knicks fan or something like that. So we're okay with that. There's a very kind of uh, passionate audience that can engage and it's not to the masses. And that's why we create so much content because what I like is going to be different than what you like. And we're okay with that, that, you know, content might have smaller total audience or consumption, but it's super passionate, super engaged, okay. leaned in audience that wants to actually talk to the the creator. And I'm sure sponsors also really like that kind of leaned in audience too, which we can talk about more. Sure. Um, I do want to touch on your creator strategy though. Like how yeah. do you identify creators that are going to be good for live, that are eager to, you know, reach a live audience and engage with, you know, active audience, you know, participants who, yeah. um, you know, I'm sure that could be a little interesting sometimes, but what's yeah. the, you know, what's the strategy for growing a creator network and yeah. finding people that are reliable in that way? Yeah. So uh, we think about creators in, in multiple tiers. So some tiers are people that are big names that can bring in their audiences with them. And some are, we're okay with that. They can't bring in their own audience and we'll actually supply the audience on their behalf. So that top tier is like um, many of the athletes that we work with. So we have these uh, vodcasts, as we call them, uh, with you know some of the biggest athletes in the world, Mookie Betts for the Dodgers, you know, part of the MVP conversation, uh, Michael Parsons for the Dallas Cowboys, maybe the best defensive player in in football, Travis Hunter, who's uh, uh, the top kind of DB wide receiver combo for Colorado, which is also where I went. Lucky enough, uh, my team's finally good. Um, and we have Von Miller also, you know, Super Bowl champion and, and, you know, brings a lot of the credibility again to the NFL. So that's like the group that they bring a lot of the audience with them. And we bring them in because it, uh, you know, helps, I think, uh, solidify us as a real player in the space. And then you kind of work down the, the, uh, the spectrum there. And there's other people that are more traditional beat reporters uh, where they, again, have a following, have a credibility. And those are the people we might tap into when, you know, there's a hard-hitting news story and we need someone to really attack that from a from an X's and O's perspective. That's the group we would assign. But a majority of our creators are uh, both knowledgeable uh, 
creative, but they're also like entertaining. And that's one of the things you learn about creators. It's not just about um, knowing about your team. You have to actually be able to engage your fans. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of the things that we've, um, it's been a learning curve because initially you think more like the athletic and you think who are these people that just know their teams inside and out and have the relationships with the players or the team staff. What we found is that that's somewhat important, but it's almost more important that you can just go on a stream and, and feel uh, relatable to those that you're streaming to, um, not wearing a suit and you are just hanging out in a hoodie and you are, but you know about your team. And so I would say, as you think about those kind of tiers or that spectrum of creator, there's those that are big names and they, and we're going to continue to investing there. Um, I mentioned a lot of football, basketball is about to come up. Hockey's just started last night. So we're, um, and sorry if that dates this podcast, but uh, we will have both of those, I think, coming soon as well. We're going to have big NBA names. We already have Draymond Green as part of our ecosystem. And we're going to be adding an NHL um, top-tier talent as well. So we're going to be investing there, but it's um, fewer and far between. We're very specific. And then as you work your way through that spectrum, we're continuing to onboard hundreds and hundreds of creators to map to distribution. So, um yeah, we're always looking for people. And, and even if you're just listening to this, I would say this is like a recruiting uh, video or recruiting podcast. You should reach out because we're constantly interviewing and bringing people into our ecosystem. Yeah. like I, So what's the like audition process then? Or yeah. like what's the, you know, maybe testing scenario to see if like the audience engages and, yeah. you know, is... Yeah. And, and right now the onboarding is pretty mutual. We have people that reach out to us to be a part of the creator program and we reach out to them um, where we might find them on um, a Twitter X or we might find them on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, wherever it might be. And some of those folks will reach out and say, hey, we'd love to have you come stream here based on, you know, you're streaming about the NBA. We think you'd be a great fit to stream about the NBA with us. Um, and then the interview process is, um, I would call it both, you know, we have to think about brand safety, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like part of what makes Bleacher so special is that we do things pretty fast and loose. Like we say, yeah, like you've probably seen that viral video where uh, the newscaster is like, F it, we'll do it live. That's kind of how we feel. Like if we think you were good enough and, and you've been streaming out to many of your fans, let's do a test stream and see how the fans actually react. Mm -hmm. So the interview process is like, once we can kind of confirm that, you know, we think, you know, to our to, a, I don't know, call it like an 80%, like we feel pretty good. We actually let you go live and we see how the fans react to it. And they'll tell you how they feel pretty quick. And then we'll find out if you're a good fit. Yeah. So the interview process is like, make sure they're a good fit. And then let's see how it works. Yeah. And how many creators do you currently have that you work with on a somewhat regular basis? Yeah. So it's, it's rolling right now. So we actually have more creators than are actually streaming in our platform because may maybe their sport hasn't actually started, but we wanted to hit the ground running come the NBA season, for example. So um, we have over a thousand now that are in our ecosystem, but I think that's only going to grow. I mean, we have, um, I would say, very aspirational thoughts that this can double and triple and quadruple over just the course of the next year. So we're, um, we're ramping up our creator program dramatically. And we know we have a fund to do that. We're going to be paying these folks. This isn't just come stream for free. Um, you know, we have a, our own kind of uh, compensation strategy there. And people, you come stream here, it'll be competitive to what you're doing on YouTube or Twitch or otherwise. Got it. Yeah. So curious a little bit more about the compensation. Is it based more on like the sponsors that they bring in for their streams or like what's the kind of either rev share model or like relationship that you have? Yeah. For that? Right now, it's not that. Um, right now, we're still trying to find what people would say is product market fit. Like we want to make sure this is the right strategy. And so 
the, the rev share components and the sponsorship against it is actually not what was this past year. This past year was about building a foundation and bringing people into our ecosystem and seeing if people even want this content, which thank God they do. Um, so we're going to have th some of those challenges, um, but I think those are also opportunities over the next year. So right now it's just on a per stream basis and we pay people um, you know, for the hour of the live stream that they they do, and again, as you think about that spectrum, maybe Mookie Betts is paid more than you or I that's streaming about our teams, but um, yeah, it's competitive, like I said, to other streams or other streaming platforms. Got it, and so um, quickly touching on audience too, because I think you mentioned you have between like, what is it, 500 and 600 streams a month or something mm -hmm. to that. Um, what's the kind of average, or maybe not average, because if you're talking about like local kind of like college sports, I'm sure it's a little bit, you know, more niche than, you know, a national team or, well, they're not national teams. They're all regional. I don't know what I'm talking about. But like professional versus like college, yeah, right? Yeah. What's the kind of like listenership that can be expected for a live stream versus maybe, you know, the audience that accumulates over the next week or so? Yeah. So two things I would say to that. The first one is um, a lot of people think that, you know, pros are going to be bigger than college, which is going to be bigger than, let's say, high school or, or whatever it might be. Not always the case. Mm -hmm. um, I would say... You know, some of our college football content is actually uh, has much higher scale of audience than, let's say, a lower tier NFL team. So it's really just about who has the most passionate bases. So as you can imagine, where college football might be biggest is in the South or something like, you know, as you would you've probably seen. But it's like Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Georgia. Those might have larger fan bases for us and more engaged bases than uh let's say the Jacksonville Jaguars or, or a professional football team. So we, again, try to fish where the fish are and think about who are going to be those bases. And that's, we'll have more creators, let's say, for Alabama football than we will for Jacksonville Jaguars um, because it's purely where we, uh, you know, get the best return on that audience. So that's part one. Part two, uh, we, uh, live is just the tip of the spear. So we get some video uh, consumption there and we focus very much on concurrency. How many people are watching at the same time in this exact moment? But as you know, like we're not always available to watch that live stream at that time. And we wanna make sure that everybody gets to experience at least the best parts of that video. So once it's done with the live video piece, which is very turnkey, again, a producer assigns a topic, that creator goes live, um, we send out an alert um, within our app and people can then watch that live stream. As soon as that's done, it then becomes a VOD. So you can watch that video on demand and it's pinned right at the top of your Alabama football stream. But we also take the very best clips from that uh, stream as well and break them out and send them out to social. Mm -hmm. So one video can actually lead to five videos to 10 videos. Um, if we're using an example like Michael Parsons, um, that one video can lead to maybe 15 or 20 different videos that go across our portfolio of brands. And so, uh, you know, it, it'd be, the, the range is pretty wide, I would say, of how much consumption we get, but we can do, I would say, similar concurrent numbers to what you would see on Twitch or YouTube in the tens of thousands of concurrence, which can lead to millions of views in totality for just one video once you break it up across all these different platforms that we break it out. So our distribution is, um, again, if not better than what you can just get on Twitch, uh, it's competitive to it. Um, not necessarily, I'm not saying the the biggest streamers in the world that are doing millions of, of streams just on their one video or hundreds of thousands of concurrence, but in totality it does kind of rival that same uh, spectrum of distribution. Yeah. Got it. 
Okay, awesome. So, and then you're, you know, leaning into the other brands and the other platforms within, you know, the WBD. You got it. Sports kind of network, right? To like yeah. then increase views. Yeah. Ultimately yeah. from there. Yeah. So um, again, I'm going to use Michael Parsons as an example, but um, he, you know, fits very well into our ecosystem, but he also fits into the WBD uh, portfolio. So we'll do a stream with him and then uh, we'll have him sit courtside at a game that's on NBA on TNT, and they'll use parts of him in the broadcast, mic'd up, talking to Jason Tatum or whoever it is, put it into TV, and then we'll take you know that same clip from the Micah Parsons uh, live stream and put it up into Max um, uh, proper. So we try and think about you know how do we leverage the same piece of content and do it as efficiently as possible across the portfolio. So that one example hopefully becomes, you know, hundreds of times or we're able to replicate that on a weekly basis where we take one video and then put it in every place that it's potentially going to work for our audiences. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, then we'll be right back. And so for the live itself, is it yeah. exclusively on the app or do you have um, like a YouTube live situation or like some of the other platforms that allow for live? Like what's the kind of, yeah. you know, concurrent live strategy? Yeah, there's a windowing strategy for sure because we want some things to be exclusive to what we're doing versus, mm -hmm. you know, a YouTuber or wherever. But at the same time, we're realistic that the same audience that might want to consume it on YouTube is not the same one on, on Bleacher Reports app at the same time at least. And so um, we are not super territorial, I guess, about where our content lives. We want as many people to see our content as possible. The hero experience, the, that exclusive window, more often than not, is probably Bleacher Report and in our app and in our sites or on Macs, something owned and operated. But um, I would say YouTube is something that we often simulcast our lives, where what we're doing in the Bleacher app also lives on YouTube. Uh, and then we have kind of a windowing strategy where the best clip might first be alerted to the Bleacher audience and then wait, make its way to TikTok or Instagram, et cetera, after the fact. And what's the kind of growth strategy for the app, too? Because I feel like, you know, app is known to be, like, the most engaged user base. Like, it's a very, like, valuable um, audience to have. But growing that audience in the first place, like, what's the strategy for doing that right now? Is it, like, a lot of you know, teasing, you know, a, a really good clip on TikTok and saying, like, download the app for more? Like, what's the, you know? Yeah, uh, content exclusivity for sure is a great way to bring people in because if you if you want to see Mookie Betts talk to Aaron Judge, the only way you can get it is on Bleacher Report. That's a hell of a value proposition. I can only watch this in one place. And that's one of our growth strategies. Um, I would say the other one is, like, the, the, and I know we're very focused on live video and 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 our creator strategy, but we do look at creators that can move audience. So um, just because someone's an expert or entertaining, if they can't actually bring their audience with them, that still works for us. Again, we can supply the distribution, but the, the best case scenario is that they have a very passionate audience that says, I'll go wherever this creator goes. Mm -hmm. So that's you know something we're gonna be focused on to help grow the app is bringing creators on that are down to actually bring their audience with them. And then the third one, which is less about live video, is just the value proposition of the app in general. Um, right now, all sports media publishers have kind of gravitated to where I think Bleacher was first, which is a personalized and highly curated uh, you know, experience, where, which mixes your, your passions, the teams you care about. You get the information of, of, uh, of uh, the scores or the news, whatever it is. And many apps are kind of doing the same thing in the space. 
which is why I'm so bullish about our strategy, which is that it's differentiated. So when you're going through and you're deciding, do I want the score? Do I want ESPN? Do I want Bleacher Report? You get all those great things that we just talked about with, um, you know, that have become a commodity. And then you have all this new stuff that you would never get um, from an ESPN or the score or Yahoo or whoever it might be. So I think that value proposition that you can get the news, but then you can actually talk about it and there's an interactive element, mm -hmm. that's going to be something that goes into our marketing and uh, how we think about selling the app to grow it in the future. Got it. And so I do want to touch on like the sponsorship piece of it, right? Because yeah. you mentioned like, you know, brand safety is a concern, especially around live. Um, and do you also mention that like the creators have the ability to be, you know, you know, dropping F-bombs and like being very like, you know, personality driven, which I think a lot of spot like advertisers have kind of grown accustomed to and are yeah. like comfortable with at this point. But curious what the kind of like revenue strategy is around live and how much of an appetite there is amongst like the sponsors previously, you know, worked with yeah. at BR versus, you know, going to attract new advertisers too. Yeah. Um First, I'm just going to quickly address the brand safety stuff. You know, I, I mentioned we're kind of fast and loose, but that interview process, like we, we think about, you know, brand safety because there's plenty of folks that we watch and we're like, oh man, super engaging, but we can't bring that person here. Like that would never work out. That would, we'd all probably get fired if we, if they said something on one of our streams. So we do take that super seriously. We have a moderation team that both works on the interview process, but also they're moderating the streams in real time, both for what the com what the creator is saying, but even the comment section. If yeah. people are saying things that we don't feel comfortable that should be there, then we ha we need to make sure that those things uh, don't show up. So moderation is pretty serious for us. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way. The the next part, I guess, is monetization. And as you mentioned at the onset, live. The one thing that's still working, I would say, within even the, the TV ecosystem is live sports and live content in general. Mm -hmm. You can't really replicate that. And I think advertisers see that, that if they can get everyone hyper-engaged, leaned in, um, and consuming content at the same time to get their very targeted message out, that's a positive because it's increasingly hard to do that. You're reaching kind of a disparate audience. Uh, you don't necessarily know who that audience is. You don't know when they're actually consuming that content. We can focus eyeballs to one place at one time I wouldn't say it's easy, but that's the beauty of our distribution is that one alert can bring in tens or hundreds of thousands of people at one time to consume our content. And advertisers love that. Um, so, and as I mentioned earlier, just, you know, the, the, the CPMs associated with a video are, you know, exponential to what you would get in, you know, reading an article and, and some of the display advertising. So we, uh, it works out both for us and for them, I would say, but we're also at these, like an infancy stage of it. Um, we build up a great foundation that now we have case studies to take to brands. And that's what this year has been about. So while we are making a lot more money than we were last year relative to video, our plan is to use that as a case study and a foundation to, again, hopeful exponential growth versus more incremental that we've had. Um, so yeah, I would say it's both working out with audience and from a revenue s standpoint, which is you know best of both worlds. Yeah, and um, how much, since you mentioned it, how much money um, were you making this year versus last year around this strategy? That is something I don't think we can get into and I won't get into it, but um, yeah, I can't get into that part, sorry. That's right, but yeah. more. Uh, a lot more, um, exponentially more. Yeah, I would say, yeah, more, yeah. Got it. Um, so I'm curious, though, when you're going to sponsors, because I think there's this budget for like traditional 
TV, live, sports, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I understand, like, there is a shift away from, like, more linear TV to more digital um, in terms of budget. But there's also, like, podcast budget. And then there's, I'm sure, experimental experimental budgets for advertisers. Like, what's the kind of strategy or, like, pitch that you're kind of going after when it comes to, like, getting those dollars or those budgets allocated to something that's kind of a mix of all three? Yeah, so... The, this is, again, where Store Advantage being part of this big company um, that reaches many different demos across many different platforms because that's the, how they go out and sell. So they, if you want to buy the linear audience and you're, uh, let's just say, a Fortune 500 company and you want to buy um, eyeballs against the linear audience and TV, well, we have some of the best rights in TV and you can be associated right there with the NBA on TNT and you can buy that. And if you also want to attract, uh, let's call it Gen X and into Gen Z, you should also spend part of your campaign or your media dollars in with Bleacher Report. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a part with uh, Gen Z and get into Gen Alpha, you can spend dollars off platform, let's say, with House of Highlights and into social. So when a, an advertiser comes to us, sometimes they're just buying Bleacher or just buying House of Highlights, but increasingly they're buying sports and eyeballs and demos. And Bleacher fits nicely because we own a very large, uh, call it subset of the next generation. And House of Highlights owns the generation after that. So you can we'll come in, spend a million dollars, let's say, with us. And uh, I, I would say get a lot of bang for your buck because you can reach everyone in the kind of this ecosystem of, uh, of sports. So that's, that's the general approach of how they're doing it. Got it. Um, Gen Alpha. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. like, in my head, like, babies, but it's not. Like, what's that? I, well, I think it, well, I don't, now we're going to get probably... Uh, uh, checked by this, but I think it's after 2010. So it's like 13 year olds and younger are, are the the group that's you know true digital natives. Let's say they yeah. grew up in this world. I, an example I would give is that we're um, we built a game with House of Highlights on Roblox, and if I tried to give them the same content that that we're making on Bleacher Report or making on TV and give it to a 13 year old, um, I can almost guarantee that would not perform well. Um, and even in you know the, these kind of micro generations within those those categories, you could give something to a 23-year-old, which is different than a 20-year-old. And I don't think it'll be consumed the same way. So we're trying to, uh, you know, look at consumption trends and then build to those audiences. So again, I think I go back to this House of, High of, House of Highlights Roblox game, um, pretty different strategy than a publisher would ever take. But we've built now two games um, within the platform. And it's a testing ground for us to learn what the next generation, what Gen Alpha wants, because the Gen Alpha becomes Gen Z and Gen Z, you know, and so yeah. so on. So it's important we think about young people because I think the water kind of trickles from young people are the ones that are the, the trendsetters and it doesn't flow the other way. So we definitely try and think about what's cutting edge and how we can apply that up the stream. Yeah. Um, I know this is not you guys, but it reminds me, I think I saw like on Disney Plus, like Toy Story meets like... yeah. And NFL, like it was like a random yeah. kind of like cartoonified game. Yeah. I don't know. It was yeah. weird, but I like, yeah. I I guess I get it if it's kind of going after that. I think what you just said is how I would frame it. Like, I guess I get it. Um, and it's not to disparage, you know, innovation. I think it's awesome when other brands do new and different things, whether it works or not. It's cool. It kind of adds to how we think about the world and it can maybe spark something on our side. Um, I will say, though, sometimes things that sound right on paper, like, and, I, and again, I'm no this uh, tiger. <laughs> um, I would say just because it looks good on paper, like young people like cartoons. So we'll make a cartoon version of this thing. It can 
it can make sense on paper and then in execution can feel uh, dramatically different than what you dreamt up. And I would say some of those executions, at least for my from my perspective, look really good in a press release. And um, I, I would I highly doubt that they engaged or grew a younger demo. I it like immediately struck me as something that I would see in like a 30 rock sketch or like <laughs> it would just felt so funny. And I was like, am I seeing that for real? Um, but yeah, I'll have to like go back and see what the actual audience was for that. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, maybe I'm wrong, I, but I think I'm closer to what your perspective is on that one. Yeah. Anyway, they took a swing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to like 2024, because we're rapidly nearing that, um, leaning into live video, leaning into, you know, developing the app, growing the creators. Um, what is the kind of go forward strategy in terms of like programming and, you know, you mentioned like, Reducing the overhead, um, it's been, you know, a really good strategy to lean into live in that way. But, like, what's the kind of, like, going forward strategy in terms of, like, investing into content, you know, growing the amount of shows that you have going up on a regular basis? Um, yeah. yeah. What's the 2024 strategy look like? The 2024 strategy looks a lot like doubling down on the 2023 strategy. Mm -hmm. And that's what we said going into this year was that we were going to see if this strategy was going to work. And we would get those signals. And if it did, we would pour fuel on the fire. And that's what 2024 is. Um, it is trying to rapidly scale the same strategy that we've been talking about here um, without breaking it, but going as fast as humanly possible. Um, and in fact, I'm actually out here in New York because we're doing 2024 planning sessions this week with our, uh, our leadership team. And that's what we talked about. You know, We look at where's the revenue coming from and where's our expense base. And we think about what money can work the hardest for us and where should we allocate that next year and it's this it's in video it's in live creators it's in um it's investing in house of highlights it's like all the same stuff we just talked about it's just doubling down um and so i like that because you could get in a room we've had these conversations at bleacher report before where you get in a room and it's actually a little bit like where should we go and, and it's and it's a it's a tricky conversation because you're trying to think about what could be next we kind of know what's next. And if we play this out right, I think we have a really high success rate um, or a chance at a, a high success rate. So, yeah, I, I wish I had an answer that sounded sexier than that, but it's like double down on what's working, and that is live and creators. So we're, our creator fund is going to be larger. The team that works on creators is going to be larger. House of Highlights has some um, things that I can't share with you, but I think they're going to be doing some really cool and innovative stuff, not making a a game a cartoon necessarily. So I think it's going to be, um, I think you will start feeling the strategy is actually how it is felt as a consumer. Like right now you could log into our app and it might not necessarily feel like a live streaming platform. Um, but we're about to drop, you know, many new features that'll bring it to parity with places like Twitch and otherwise, be it picture in picture, vertical video, or, or things that are going to make it feel like a true native video app. And I think that's when you're really going to feel that this strategy is coming to life. So between now and end of 24, I think that's going to be an evolution that we start uh, looking and feeling more like the strategy that we're talking about. Are there any like places that you're maybe scaling back or on like any platforms that are maybe not like having the same amount of return, whether yeah. it's from like audience or revenue? Um, you know, yeah. it's crazy. It's like you would think, well, you're going so hard towards live video, you have to do something, you shouldn't do something else because you need to take um, 
you know, mindshare resource and apply it there. The truth is all different mediums play a role in our ecosystem. So the written word, um, which is what Bleacher was founded on, um, was kind of democratizing editorial and saying, oh, if you want to, if you're a, a Golden State Warriors fan, you can write about the Golden State Warriors. That's what we're doing for video now. But people still want to read articles sometimes. Sometimes, you know, your your Wi-Fi is not good and you can't really stream live video or you just want the news and information. And so we're not, you know, again, we're here for 24 planning and probably oversharing because you're hearing about stuff before the team out there is hearing about stuff. But like the budgets are flat to up for editorial because they provide a massive value because lots of people just want to read articles. Um, and so those teams might be working closer together because there's more synergy between are we going to make that an article or are we going to make that a video or is that going to be a social post that someone creates? So the teams work closer together, but the budgets and, and are, are all kind of flat to up. We're, we're investing in content because we're a content company. So, yeah, I, I, truthfully, there's nowhere where we're like scaling back on the content side. Got it. And so... I think because we touched on like breaking news a little bit too, right? Like I mean, it's slightly different from like a sports lens than like hard news. But how does like the approach to live video versus like editorial kind of play into that? Like what's the turnaround time? If something, you know, major happens with um, like an athlete or something and, you know, you have a expert like in your creator network who would be a really good subject to like cover this. What's the, you know, realistic turnaround time for covering something that, you know, is in your wheelhouse, be it like via video or editorial? Yeah. So we think about it in waves. Um, so one news story happens and that creates waves of content that you create. The very first thing we that we do um, is we have our programming group. Our programming group here are not engineers. These are people that... Um, curate news and information and then package it up and distribute it to our users on app and site and social. So those are, that's our programming group. And news breaks, the very first thing they do is they see it very quickly because we have, I wouldn't say it's proprietary, but we're very good at curating news and information very quickly. So we're not the people necessarily breaking the news, but we might be the very first people to distribute that news out to the masses. Um, so long as you know it's a credible news breaker or it's been verified that this is in fact happening and so we'll send an alert within you know three to five minutes after news breaks um, and that will go out to millions of people very quickly from there we'll write an article to actually give it some substance and context that surrounds that news and then from there you might have uh, you know someone who can speak about it for on a live stream after the fact so I would say it goes from five minutes to 15 to 30 minutes and 30 minutes to an hour but within just an hour you probably have three waves of content that's been created or distributed um, and again, you do that hundreds of times a day. So it's, um, there's not much downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then growing the creator network, you mentioned like, you know, hopefully doubling, maybe even tripling the amount that you work with now. You mentioned like your editorial budget being flat to up. Like what's the kind of investment strategy in terms of like um, full-time staff versus like creator? Because Creators, I think, have a lot of benefits. Like they have a little bit less overhead, but there's also like a big network that they bring in. Um, but then I'm also curious about like the exclusivity clauses. Like if you have a creator in your network, are they not allowed to like stream on Twitch? Like curious, like what the kind of investment strategy is for like in-house versus like external and then kind of the terms on the external creators. Yeah. I think that's going to take shape this year. Um, 2020, and when I say this year, I'm already talking like it's 2024, but in terms of 2023, uh, almost zero exclusivities. 
we wanted to test if this was the right content for our audience to consume. And if you wanted to live stream that content or take that same video and put it up on Twitch or on YouTube or on Twitter or what have you, we're okay with it. And I think it's actually interesting to think back to like, you know, what TikTok was and musically and some of the strategy that they had was like, they kind of felt the same way. Like open walls, post our content on other platforms. That's going to help be our marketing. marketing. You'll have our little stamp or bug that sits on the content. But I think we approach it similarly, where if you want to take your content that you create here and then get clip outs of it, maybe we start giving them their best clip out so that they can package it up and send it out on Twitter or wherever it might be or X to their fans. We're, um, we're super comfortable with that. Um, there is some stuff, as I mentioned, about exclusive windows. That's probably going to be more what 24 looks like, where we start having exclusive windows for your live stream content. And as you work your way again up that spectrum of types of creators, yeah, Mookie bets like he needs to be in our ecosystem. But, um, you know, actually a better example would be Travis Hunter for Colorado. He does a weekly stream with us where he talks about football for the most part. And he doesn't really do that on his other platforms. He talks more about, you know, I don't know, call it cultural crossover. But if you look at his weekly grid of what he makes, he makes a lot of content on YouTube about him and himself and vlogging, whatever. We're fine with that. That's great. You don't have to just do it with us. So we take a pretty open stance to to exclusivities. Um, I can't remember the second part of your question. Like, I guess investing in in-house um, talent or like full-time versus kind of investing in the creator. Because I think, yeah. like to your point, there's a lot of advantage of having someone who's, you know, working on their, you know, um, personality or not personality, but like yeah. their persona outside of, you the, know, it's few and far between because you either are, you know, you're either renting IP, you're bringing people in and they're making their own brands and we're cool with that. There are some folks that we've, um, very few, but that have been really good for us that we've built brands with, um, and we invest in them in full-time talent here, full-time, um, broadcast boys would be an example of that. Um, they're, you know, I don't know if you've watched them, but they're kind of just like comedic interview con- type content or commentary on sports. And they've grown a massive following on pick your social platform. And, and those are people that are full time employees here. Um, and we deploy them for to make their content out in the wild. They'll go to a game and interview athletes or whatever it might be. Um, they also, you know, participate in sponsored or branded content. You'll see their content on Max. Like they're they're everywhere for us and they're a full time employee. Um, we've also had. Uh, we've been a stepping stone for, I think, a lot of great talent where they've kind of built their brand here and then they've gone out and gotten the bag elsewhere. Um, and we're okay with that too. It's not how we wish it would play out, but sometimes that's just is what it is and we're okay with that. And I, and I know it sounds like we're being, or I'm being cliche in it, but we just want everyone to be successful. Like we, it's not always a competition and it's frustrating sometimes when people leave to to make more money elsewhere, but don't fault any of those folks. So if you're listening, it's all good. Um, so anyways, I, I would just say like we're, uh, it is a, it's a good mix of internal people, but also external. And I think they're fairly compensated, whether they're full-time or, or just on a streaming basis. It's very competitive with what's out there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, like the creators I knew from BuzzFeed, like back in the day, okay. like the Try Guys, like Quinta Brunson, like they have massive careers now. I still associate them with like when they were in BuzzFeed, right? Like there's, I think that like kind of homegrown kind of concept of this creator has like 
really good brand affinity with, you know, BuzzFeed back in the day. Yeah. So it, it, it is interesting. I think it's like um, the stepping stone is not like a bad place to be because there's still that like brand affinity that like sticks through. Yeah, we, we think about brand halo a lot. Brand affinity, brand halo, that's what um, often when we go in and we're evaluating a project or evaluating a creator is like, is it good for brand? Is it good for revenue? Is it good for audience? Hopefully it's all three. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, you might say, well, it's not going to work out for revenue. I, I think a sponsor is probably not going to quite get this one, but it's worth doing because it creates brand halo. And and uh, the same applies for creators where some folks are going to be really good, really entertaining. and Or you might know that they're going to be a superstar someday and we're just renting their time. But I'd rather get, you know, a piece of it. Um, I was about to say some weird thing about love and relationships, you know, better to love and lost um, kind of thing. But that's really how we feel. Like, it's okay if you spend a year here and then you move on. That's awesome. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much. I, that flew by, but this was... Well, a, how much time did we spend? Uh, almost over, yeah, almost 50 minutes. Pretty good. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Mm-hmm.